Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here breaking down Josh Hart's four-year, $81 million extension. What does it mean for the Knicks? What does it mean for the cap going forward? Is it a good deal? And what is still left on the Knicks checklist for the rest of this year? Getting into all that right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now. Starts. Without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's Anthony for three. On Knicks, and I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. Whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube, we appreciate you making us part of your daily routine. And if you haven't already, make sure to hit the auto download function on your favorite podcast app or the notification bell on YouTube so you never miss an episode. And if you want to keep the conversation going, you can do that with us now too using subtext which you can communicate with us right through text messages on your phone. So check that out in the episode description, either on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm Aaron Chief and Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at strict.land. And I am breaking down Josh Hart's four-year, $81 million extension. So it's unclear yet how the structure of this deal breaks down. Uh, first off, it was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski first. Uh, Ian Begley confirmed it later on uh after that and it's uh it's not quite reported yet as to how this this salary structure is going to go if if past years are any indication the Knicks might try to make this a descending contract uh so typically in the nba there's th- well so there's three different ways that a contract can be structured usually and that's uh ascending descending or flat and so a flat contract just pays, you know, X amount per year, period. That's what you get. Uh, and ascending contract is the norm usually uh, because usually teams want to use whatever flexibility they can to sign a guy, um, you know, at the time of signing his deal. And so they'll, you know, sign him at the lowest number possible and then give a raise every single year. I believe it's 8%, 10% that you can go up every single year, something like that. Um so there's, you know, that's how most deals start. They start with a lower number and then gradually ascend until in the final year of the deal, the guy makes the most money that he's going to make. However, the Knicks have signed a few guys to descending contracts in the last few years, which is like pretty smart. Uh, it, it essentially is like, well, we have the space right now, so may as well sign this guy to the most that we can right now and give him the highest number up front and then let the deal descend over time. Uh, so then, you know, he's still getting the, the big amount of money, but it's front loaded. So he gets more money now, less money later. They've done that with Jalen Brunson. They did that with Mitchell Robinson. Uh, so it's unclear yet if that's going to be the case with Josh Hart. Uh, but that said, the deal doesn't kick in until next year. So because Josh Hart picked up his roughly $13 million option this year, 
That means that this extension starts next season and then goes for the next four years after that. So Josh Hart, including this coming season, is signed with the Knicks for five years total now going forward. Um, so they might have just made a more traditional backloaded contract just because they might want some more flexibility for next offseason. Uh, so if that's the case, then they would want Hart at the lowest number possible uh, going into next year, which would mean probably starting him out somewhere in the $18.5 million range on that deal and then having it gradually scale its way up uh, to a little over $20 million, like twenty twenty-two or so. Uh, so we'll see how that all ends up going. I'm sure those numbers numbers will get reported eventually. Uh, a great resource, which I used for prepping for this podcast a lot, is called Spotrack, if anybody's interested. Um, so you can check that website out. And they, they're pretty up to date with once these contract details get revealed and whatever. They're, they're pretty on top of things. Uh, but so the, the deal averages out to $20.25 million per season, roughly. So four years, $81 million. And I know there's still sort of a stigma around $20 million, just like there is with $100 million with Knicks fans. Like, I don't know. I guess it's because in their past, they've been burned by uh, a number of players that were making $20 million or signed like five-year $100 million contracts, which pays $20 million a year, you know, and and $100 million total. Uh, Allen Houston, you know, famously signed a deal like that, Amari Stoudemire. So I know that a lot of Knicks fans still get sticker shock. I saw some, you know, I mean, no matter what, you're not going to make everybody happy. But there was there was some outrage, some minor outrage on like Twitter and stuff yesterday about, um, you know, oh, are they paying, are they paying him too much? But, you know, why would you give Josh Hart this much money? Blah blah blah. I, I figured I would just kind of list a few of the guys that. Josh Hart's keeping company with right now. So Terry Rozier makes $24 million a season. Cam Johnson just signed this deal, makes $23.6 million a season for the Nets. Buddy Heald makes $23.5 million. Mikal Bridges is, is an obvious value deal for this amount, but makes $22.75 million. Uh, Mike Conley makes $22.68 million. DeAndre Hunter makes $22.5 million. Kyle Kuzma, who also just signed his deal, makes $22.5 million. Aaron Gordon makes $21.66 million. Dylan Brooks, just signed this deal, makes $21.5 million. Jared Allen makes $20 million. Lonzo Ball makes $20 million. And Jakob Pertl, who just signed this deal as well, makes $19.5 million. So most of these deals... Uh, were signed within the last few years. Again, I, I noted the ones that were just signed this offseason. But so some of these deals are, are coming down to their final years. And that's also significant because those deals were signed under a significantly lower total cap number uh, by like $20 million less. Like the salary cap just a few years ago was like $115 million uh, or even just over 100 and 110, whatever. Like ever since the cap spike in 2016, it, it went up to around 90 then, and it's gone up exponentially since then. So, you know, it's it was 90 million or like 95, whatever it was back in 2016. The cap for this year is now $136 million. So the salary cap has gone up leaps and bounds over the last number of years. And so the most of these guys were signed under lower total salary caps, which means that like, like per capita, what they were signed for at the time was for even a bigger chunk than what Josh Hart signed now. 
so all that is to say, I, I think this is not an overpay. Um, no matter what someone on Twitter might tell you, I I would have probably preferred he signed for sixteen to eighteen million dollars. Um, you know, great, that would have been awesome. That's a value deal at that point. Right now, I think he's getting fairly paid for what his contributions are. Um, I think it's really easy to forget that just because of how things ended with the Heat series, and Gavin and I are probably a little guilty of this as well, if not fully acknowledging just how huge of a an impact Josh Hart made because it, the thing that sticks in your mind is the fact like, yeah, it was kind of a detriment to the Knicks down the stretch when he couldn't make a three in the Heat series and was actively passing them up, and the Heat were you know, exploiting that, but it's not like that was exclusive to just him. Like the heat were pretty much ignoring anyone, but Quentin Grimes or Jalen Brunson on the perimeter. Uh, so that, that wasn't just a Josh Hart problem that also extended to RJ to Julius to everybody. But before that he showed up to the Knicks, Josh Hart did and turned them into a totally different team. Uh, he helped them push the pace. He rebounded fantastic out of that, uh, like wing spot that he was playing. He, you know, managed to, uh, keep things, you know, engaged and, and, you know, whatever on defense, you know, and made a really, really good uh, combo with Emmanuel quickly uh, in, in that regard and made for a really deadly bench unit with quickly and Hartenstein, the dearly departed Obi Toppin um, and others there. So, and RJ Barrett sometimes, you know, it played really well with Jalen Brunson. I mean, he pretty much is a good fit with anybody on this team because he could pretty much do everything except consistently hit the three. But if he could find a way to do that, which, I mean, he's shown at points of his career, like the whole second half of the season with the Knicks prior to the playoffs, where he shot like <laughs> obscene from three for a while. He shot like 50% for his first like 10, 15 games, but, you know, leveled out to around 40%. If he could find a way to shoot that, uh, you know, and work on that this offseason, maybe, you know, getting warmed up with the FIBA team will help. Uh, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, I, I think this is a very fair deal. Um, you know, I, I think that if you look at this in terms of what happened when he picked up his option, so he picked up his option for $13 million, That allowed the Knicks to sign Dante DiVincenzo. And so sort of as a favor, they they extended him at this this number, which was the maximum of what he could have gotten on an extension. But if you look at it, in terms of this being like a five-year contract, uh, a four-year extension plus the one-year option that he picked up comes out to a five-year $94 million number, which averages out to around $18.8 million a year. I know obviously as far as like cap implications, you know, the cap doesn't care what favors you did or whatever, you know, that it's still going to be a $20 million number. But if you look at it just in terms of, of like, if you're keeping score, you know, of, of what he did for the team and, and all this other stuff by taking that, what ultimately ended up being a pay cut uh, for this season to do the Knicks a favor and sign Dante DiVincenzo. I think it looks pretty good for Hart in the long run. Uh, so speaking of that, I, I want to talk about the Knicks cap situation going forward, which I will do in the next segment. But first, I got to remind you all that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. And football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you get bonus bets for every victory. 
it's kind of fun, you know, if you think about it, if you're a Giants or Jets fan, both teams have, I think, some pretty good aspirations this year. The Giants looking to capitalize on on the improvements that they made last year. The Jets obviously have Aaron Rodgers now at quarterback and are looking to make some strides this year. So maybe that, you know, you place a Super Bowl bet on your favorite team and then you get rewarded every time they win a game. That just seems like seems like gravy to me. And then you can use those bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Might I suggest a same-game parlay uh, now and again. That's my favorite type of bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. All right, and I'm back in to continue talking about the implications of this Josh Hart deal now. And so I figured it would be useful to take a take a temp check on the Knicks cap situation going forward. So I'm going to get into that now and uh, and you know give you guys an idea of what is going on on the books for the Knicks now. So as of right now, the Knicks have I'm going to so technically speaking, they could decline Quentin Grimes' option, but let's just assume they're not going to do that uh, for his fourth year because they really like Quentin Grimes, and why would they do that? So. Assuming that they pick that option up, they have seven, possibly eight guys locked in on deals through the end of the 2024 to 25 season. So that's uh, this next season and the season after they have, they have these guys locked in. As of right now, those guys are Julius Randle on his contract, which will pay him uh, around $28 million this coming season, then around $30 million on the final year of it before having a 2025 player option. Jalen Brunson, because of that descending contract, uh, will make $26 million this year, and then around $25 the year after before having a player option in 2025 as well, same as Julius, which he is likely to decline and seek a new contract because he's definitely going to be worth more than a descending deal paying him around $24 million uh, for that final year. So that's that seems like almost a foregone conclusion. Uh, R.J. Barrett, is starting his new contract this coming season. That deal will be ascending from 24 million to just shy of 30 million in the 2026 to 27 season. So he's signed for an additional two years uh, on top of what Julius and Brunson are guaranteed for. Mitch is on a descending deal, which goes from around 15 and a half million dollars this year to finally 13 million dollars in 2025 to 26. Uh, so he goes a year longer than Brunson and Randall do. Dante DiVincenzo starts an ascending deal this year, which starts at $11 million and ends around $12.5 million in 2026 to 27. And Quentin Grimes has a $4.3 million option for 2024-25 as well. And the eighth guy that I said they could possibly lock in, Jericho Sims, has a $2 million option for the final year of his deal. I feel like based off just how small of an amount that is, the Knicks would probably pick that up unless they have some grander plan that they have to fill the roster a different way and they just need that roster spot at that point and they don't feel like Sims is worthy of that. But I think everything they've shown so far is that they like Sims and they think he's a good utility big. And I would tend to agree there. I think he's a good, like if he's your third center, if he's the guy that you need to, you know, potentially come in if someone's hurt or whatever and play some spot minutes, I, th I think he's pretty solid at that. And hopefully he, continues developing this year so what does that mean going forward 
So that means going in, and this is these are all numbers that I got off Spotrack as well. Uh, that means going into next offseason, they have about $131.29 million committed. Uh, and so by this year's math, that would put them about $5 million shy of the $136 million salary cap. Uh, and you might be like, well, how are they freeing up all this money? Well, big big chunk of that is Evan Fournier coming off the books. Uh, he's going to be coming off the books going into next year one way or another, uh, which I'll get to in the third segment that the Knicks do still have to figure out that situation. Uh, obviously, Emmanuel quickly also needs to potentially sign an extension this offseason, which I will also get into in the next segment when I get into what's left for the Knicks to do this offseason. But let's just talk a little bit about the cap, right? Because I think it's I think it, it's easier to digest than you might think. A lot of people are kind of scared by the cap, but it's not it's not too crazy. So this year the salary cap is around 136 million dollars. In the new CBA, I actually just learned this nugget while I was looking through some stuff for this uh, episode. Apparently, the uh, the NBA, the owners and and you know the players, you know the player association, all that stuff, have agreed that the salary cap can only rise a maximum of 10 percent year over year. Uh, so that's, I guess, to prevent a spike like 2016 when the cap went from like. $60 million to like $90 million. That was the the famous spike when Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors because they just suddenly found themselves with a ton of cap space and the ability to do so. Um, so, you know, I guess that's to avoid those sort of situations again. So it, it can only go up 10% year over year now. But assuming a maximum spike going into next year, which I think is reasonable because I think that the last few years, it, the cap has been going up. Pretty pretty much around that amount. I think there was one or two years where it stagnated a little bit in the 120s, but uh, it's been starting to to go up again thanks to revenue sharing and everything else. And I think a new TV deal on the horizon, which is starting to get the NBA ready for this, which I'll get into in a sec as well. But um, assuming a maximum spike next year, uh, the cap next year would be around $150 million. It would be just shy, like 149.6 or something like that. So the Knicks do still need to pay Emmanuel quickly, which will probably push them, I don't know, another 18 to 20 million, perhaps more, uh, given the the Hart deal. Maybe he'll push to be paid a little more than Hart. I don't know what the deal is there. But, you know, even assuming that they would do that, they're, they're probably sitting just over the cap for next year at around $150 million in guaranteed salaries. Uh, which would be fine because that keeps them out of the luxury tax and they can just operate as an over-the-cap team. They would then get uh, a mid-level exception again because as long as they stay under the luxury tax now, they are afforded a mid-level exception, uh, which would, I think, give them like $8, 9000000 million, something like that to play with uh, roughly. But, you know, that's that's a next-year problem <laughs> as far as which exception they end up with. Uh, but I think they seem positioned okay. You know, the, most of their rotation is locked into deals now. Once quickly gets locked up, that means basically the entire rotation is locked up through, uh, you know, at least this next season. If they they re-sign Hartenstein next offseason, then they've got two years with this core if they decide to roll with it. Um, and not entering the luxury tax, I don't think, even if they re-sign all those guys. So that that's cool. Uh, so this year, the, the luxury tax is about $30 million higher than the salary cap. Next year, it'll probably be proportionally the same, which I would think would mean about $35 million higher, which would mean the Knicks would have to get, if the cap goes up to like $150 million, they would need to get into like $180-plus million of salary before they would 
being the luxury tax. And I just don't really see a world where that ends up happening for them. I think the only way that they start getting close to touching the luxury tax as it should be is if they, if they trade for like a really big star, like one of those $50 million a year guys. But otherwise I think they'll be pretty safe and they should be safe to continue building and, you know, arranging this team in such a way that, you know, they can, they can keep adding to it uh, rather than, finding themselves in a situation like where like the Warriors or the Clippers find themselves now, for example, where this new CBA is super restrictive to luxury tax teams. And now those teams essentially only have minimum contracts to work with. So they can only add guys that are willing to come in on a minimum deal going forward, unless they trim a lot of salary and get themselves below the luxury tax threshold again. So that's becoming more important than ever. Um, the other thing is I, I think with, especially as it pertains to this heart deal and and some of the other deals that the Knicks have on the books, like R.J. Barrett, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, Mitchell Robinson even, is that the NBA TV deal expires after the 2024-25 to season. Now, this might work out phenomenally in favor of Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson because they will be uh, looking for new contracts that year. But I found an article by CNBC's Jabari Young back in 2021 that suggested that the NBA might increase their yearly take from $2.6 billion a year, which it is now that they get off their TV deal, to be looking for around $8 billion, which is a huge increase. That is almost quadrupling what they have currently. Uh, to me, that says that that 10% increase is going to be happening every single year for a long time after that because the, the Players Association is going to be like, no, we need to make up for the fact that the league is making quadruple what it was before, and we need to get this, you know, keep this salary cap going up that amount every single year. And unfortunately, that might be a point of contention going into another CBA negotiation that might lead to a lockout because that's the owners are going to be making money hand over fist for a couple of years, uh, which is uh, par for the course for sports or, sports owners to be making way more money than what they're dishing out to the players and keeping player salaries capped while they make uncapped huge amounts of money. But that's neither here nor there. That's a whole other podcast episode. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically the the salary cap situation right now. So I think, you know, this, this works out pretty good for the Knicks uh, overall. And uh, I think they're, they're in a pretty good position to not be dipping into the luxury tax anytime soon and still having flexibility for years to come because... I think the salary cap is only going to continue going up. And so signing these guys to these kind of longer term deals now works pretty well as far as having them, you know, as paid fairly now, but then also having those potential attractive trade chips down the line or just guys on your team that are not making as much money as they could be making under a higher salary cap. So uh, we'll see how that all goes going forward. But I'm going to take my final little break here, but come back and get into what's left for the Knicks this offseason because it seems like most of the items have been checked off. We'll uh, we'll see what still needs to be needs to be checked going forward in the offseason next. All right, and I'm back in a final segment here to talk about what's left for the Knicks this offseason. So Dante DiVincenzo has been signed. Josh Hart has extended on the first day possible. This is the it was uh they had to wait till six months after they traded for him to extend him. So this was the first day that they could have possibly done that, and they did so. So that's all done. 
All three two-way spots are now filled as well with Dylan Windler, Jalen Martin, and Nathan Knight all freshly signed. None of those guys are holdovers, so I, I can't anticipate the Knicks are going to shuffle those spots anymore unless, I don't know, Jacob Toppin comes to training camp and shows out or something. But in all likelihood, they'll probably – well, actually, here, I'll make this the first I'll make this the first item of business here for the Knicks. So first item of business, and this is something I forgot to even put in my notes but while I'm thinking about it. They're going to sign a bunch of guys to exhibit 10 contracts. Uh, so they will have uh, – these deals are essentially training camp deals. You'll often see during training camp the Knicks will sign and release like 10 different guys. Um, that's basically to fill their G League team. So the way exhibit 10 deals work is that you can sign a guy for a very small amount of money, uh, like a, essentially a non-guaranteed contract during training camp. So you sign them, pay them a little bit of money then. But then when you cut them, since they were on an Exhibit 10 deal previously, then you're allowed to sign them for like 40% more or something like that uh, in the G League. And the Knicks have traditionally done a really good job of taking care of their G League players. The minimum salary for a G League player is still like ridiculously low if they're not on an Exhibit 10 contract. So good on the Knicks for always taking care of their guys at that level of play and paying them like, I don't know, like, $80,000 or something instead of like the 40 or 50 or whatever the amount is uh, for these for these guys to pursue their NBA careers. So that's great. Um, and so that's that's the first order of business. You'll see that happen probably right before training camp. Uh, second, much bigger order of business is Emmanuel Quickly's extension. So the Knicks have until the eve of the regular season to get a deal done with Emmanuel Quickly. This is just the same as uh, what they had with R.J. Barrett this past year, uh, for example, where when a guy is on the last year of his rookie contract uh, you're, or going into the last year of his rookie contract, you have until the first day of the regular season to extend that player. Uh, otherwise, they play out their final season on their rookie deal and hit restricted free agency. So I think it's more than likely that the Knicks shoot to get that done rather than let IQ hit restricted free agency next year. I think that would be sort of a cloud over the team this year. And they, they've they done a good job in the Leon Rose regime of trying to avoid such clouds. Uh, so I, I don't think that they would let the quickly extension take that long. Uh, I think they'll probably look to get it done pretty swiftly. I think they're probably doing the same thing as what they did with RJ, where they're sort of feeling out the market you know, for a potential trade and stuff like that. They're seeing... I would assume that they're probably waiting like a lot of the leads, see what eventually happens with James Harden and Damian Lillard. See if that sort of resets the star market a little bit. Um, see what the price is paid for those two guys. See what that, you know, what a Harden trade would potentially mean for Joel Embiid, you know, uh, see what's going on with the Raptors. You know, Siakam is apparently on the market now. Uh, OG Ananobi has been very publicly on the market for a minute. So, you know, I, I think they're kind of just, taking their time waiting because once you sign Emmanuel quickly to that extension, you can't really include him in a trade reasonably until partway through this year. And more realistically, you're probably not looking to include him in a trade until next year then, because it's once you get them on those uh, on the extension, it creates some, uh, uh, some things that make it a little more difficult to, to trade that guy during his final year of his rookie deal when he's already signed to an extension. So, um, I, I think that they'll probably, I don't know, try to keep the extension somewhat reasonable. 
if he gets paid exactly what Hart gets paid, I would not be totally surprised. Uh, like if it was like four years, twenty million annual, I I think that would be totally fair for Emmanuel. Quickly, uh, he might even seek more than that, and maybe that would be the sticking point that could potentially push things into, uh, you know, restricted free agency next year. But we'll see. Um, but yeah, e- either way, I, I think that that's probably going to going to happen before the season. Um, if I was a betting man and I wanted to go on FanDuel, I'd, I'd place a, a little wager on that, uh, that it was <laughs> that it's going to happen before the season. So that's thing number two, uh, which was going to be thing number one before I remembered the Exhibit 10 contracts. Thing number three is get rid of the Fournier contract. Um, so as much as it could be beneficial for the Knicks to keep Fournier in that $19 million contract as long as possible, as a potential trade chip, like all the way through the deadline or whatever. I don't know that I see it happening. Uh, I think, unfortunately, that situation is pretty far gone. He's going out and, you know, making statements about the team and, and like very publicly kind of saying, like, I don't belong there anymore, which fine. You know, I think he's I think he's owed that. He he was a really good soldier throughout the season. So if he takes a couple offseason interviews and says, you know, hey, now I'm kind of frustrated with the fact that I have no future with this team and I'm stuck here. I, I get it. I mean, he's a professional. He wants to play basketball. He wants to, and he's still a really, really good shooter, which, you know, on on a team that's not as predicated on, you know, a complete team defensive effort as the Knicks could maybe work. Uh, you know, I could see him potentially latching on and like with like the Lakers or something, you know, a team where their defensive system seems to be good enough to absorb a couple of less than great defenders and, you know, they could always use shooting around LeBron, uh, you know, because he's one of the greatest drivers and kickers of all time. Uh, so great shooters kind of always have a place on LeBron's team. So maybe that's something that he looks to do, but either way, you know, I, I think unfortunately, whether it's by trade or a potential like 11th hour buyout before the start of the season, I feel like the Knicks are going to get that situation sorted before the start of the season, just since Fournier has gone public now with how he feels. And I, again, you know, just like what I was saying with the quickly thing, I think this, this front office avoids potential black clouds that could hang over the organization. Um, and I don't think that they're going to want to have this Fournier situation dragging out. If, if he does press availability or whatever, if he takes an interview with a magazine or something again, with like a French magazine or whatever, and makes those sort of comments, during the season, it's just going to create a firestorm and, and you know, just create distractions. And the Knicks are definitely not going to want any distractions going into this year because I'm sure they have big plans of getting better and, you know, building on what they did last year. So I don't know. But maybe there's a best case scenario out there where the Knicks do convince him to stick with the team, even if he's on the bench, so that they can have that big salary to include in a trade all the way up until uh, the trade deadline. But I kind of and and you know maybe they could then say hey we're going to keep you until then if no deal happens then for sure we will buy you out and you can go sign with a contender for the stretch run or whatever but please just be a good soldier until then but hey, he might not want to be a good soldier and you know what it's fine that's that's within his rights so uh, I guess we'll see but I I get the feeling that that will get resolved resolved one way or another before the start of the season uh, then I guess the last thing the wild card here is potentially extending Deuce McBride. I don't know for sure that they'll look to do that. Um, Deuce, so his rookie deal was a three-year deal uh, straight up, and I, or I think it had a maybe it had a third-year player option that they picked up already. But 
I think it was just a straight up three year deal. Uh, either way, he would hit restrictive free agency this coming off season. And similar to Mitch's situation at the end of his uh, second round rookie deal, because that's the the difference there. First round rookie deals carry much more rules. Second round rookie deals, it's like the wild west out there. Um, so I'm pretty sure that Deuce can extend any time up until the end of the regular season. So this could be something that takes until like before the start of next off season, but maybe if the Knicks talk to his representation and they're willing to sign another modest deal, you know, like 5 million a season or something like that, then the Knicks could lock him in like before this season or early on this season or something like that. I get a feeling that Deuce wouldn't want to do that. And his representation wouldn't want to do that because they'd be like, no, let's play the season out, see what kind of role Deuce is able to get. And, you know, if he's able to, you know, go out there and impress and potentially lure some team into giving him like $7 million next off season or something to pry him away. Uh, you know, I think they would probably want to do that instead. Uh, but, you know, you never know. Maybe the, maybe the Knicks manage to, you know, lock him up too and, and uh, have like really their whole rotation locked up for a number of years going forward, uh, barring any sort of trade. Which is the last thing on my list here. I think barring any sort of trade, I think that's it. I think the Knicks are pretty much done uh, with this offseason. The heart contract was one of the one of the big things that still needs to get done. Like I said, the quickly thing is probably the biggest thing going forward that that they definitely need to uh, finish up. But anyway, that's all for now. That's all for this edition of Locked On Knicks. Thank you all for listening. And uh, be sure to keep your eyes and ears open. We got some great content coming your way. Over the next couple of weeks, we might finish answering the last couple mailbag questions. Uh, we have an interesting crossover coming up with one of our other Locked On hosts. Uh, that'll be a, a fun player comparison, and we might be looking to get into some of those. There's some fun off-season content uh, comparing Knicks players to players on other teams around the league and how they stack up. Uh, but yeah, that's it for today. Thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all soon. Peace out, everybody.